0: Welcome to Ayurveda 101 with MAPI, easy Ayurveda for today's complex world. We're here to help you navigate the ancient science of Ayurveda, India's natural wellness system, so you can feel your healthiest, happiest, and
1: most empowered every single day. We're hosted by Maharishi Ayurveda, America's first and oldest Ayurveda company. Remember, this podcast is
0: not a substitute for medical advice, so always check with your doctor before starting a new regimen.
1: Let's get started.
0: Hello everyone, and thanks for tuning in to episode 13 of Ayurveda 101 with Moppy. I'm your host, Shankari Wegman, PhD, and I've been an Ayurvedic practitioner for over 20 years, and I'm also a professor and lecturer. And today, we're gonna be continuing our discussion on digestion with Dr. Fred Travis, PhD. In episode eight, we spoke with Dr. Travis about brain health and the science of sleep. And we talked all about what your brain does when you're asleep, the difference between the rest you get during sleep versus meditation, and so much more. So if you haven't listened to Episode 8 yet, be sure to go back and check it out. Today, we're going to be chatting with Dr. Travis about the gut-brain connection. That is, how your brain health and gut health are in constant communication with each other and how it impacts everything from your emotional well-being to your immunity. In 2015, Dr. Travis co-authored a study on the three Ayurvedic dosha types. You might remember this as vata dosha, pitta dosha, and kapha dosha. And he looked at how they actually correspond to three different brain types, which impact everything from a person's metabolism to their behavioral functioning, gut health, and more. On the heels of that research, Dr. Travis and his study co-author, Dr. Robert Keith Wallace, Ph.D., went on to co-author a book called Dharma Parenting, which offers parents a whole new set of insights on brain science and Ayurvedic typology. I highly recommend it. He's also written a book called Your Brain is a River, Not a Rock and World-Class Brain. Dr. Travis is one of our era's leading researchers in the field of meditation and neurophysiology, and I'm so eager to hear what he has to say about gut health. And also, I just want to add that I've been so lucky to have worked with Dr. Travis. He's been on my dissertation committee, and his insights and guidance has helped me so much. So I'm so happy to welcome back to the show Dr. Travis.
1: Thank you very much, Shankari. This is a very interesting area because... We and bacteria have been evolving together for millions of years. The gut bacteria have evolved to add metabolic capabilities that exceed those of our body alone.
0: Yeah, that's incredible. I mean, just the scientific research that modern science has discovered that there is this gut-brain axis and how important it is to have that connection between the nervous system and the gut is something that Ayurveda has talked about for so many centuries. But now science is also showing that, and so much so that they're also calling this a gut-brain So, how many brains are there in the body? Are there really two
1: brains? (laughs) Now, this is a common meme today that the gut is a second brain. Now, some people even say the heart is yet another brain.
0: (laughs) So, how many brains are there?
1: (laughs) (laughs) My perspective is that the brain, the gut, the heart, they all work together. They're helping us process our daily experience. And what the gut and the heart are adding is a global evaluation of the situation. And the brain takes this global picture, and it adds the details of what is happening to generate the narrative of our lives.
0: So, Dr. Travis, you've mentioned this term, global evaluation. Can you explain to us exactly what that means?
1: (laughs) Global evaluation is the overall context. For instance, you go into someone's room. You get an immediate feeling. Has there been friendly conversation? Has there been diversity? Has there been adversity going on? And with that global evaluation, you take that and you decide what I should say, how I should act. And so it's giving us a larger context within which we can position our individual behavior.
0: Uh Uh-huh. Okay. So then how do the gut and the heart then give us this global evaluation of a situation?
1: So let's begin with the environment. Light sounds picked up by the eyes, ears, and they send two streams of activation. One goes to the emotional center. And what that's doing is that's generating our immediate emotional response. It's that global evaluation. What's the overall feeling called the affect of the situation? The other one goes to the surface of the brain and that's where the details are processed. Now, if there's a pattern of experience from the past that was tagged by the brain as being important for survival, uh, either danger or nourishing, the brain activates the heart and gut. This leads to increased heart rate, gut activity shuts down, This leads to a change in bodily state that's picked up by the brain. Science calls it proprioception. You experience what's going on in your body. This activation is interpreted by the brain as a global alert, safe, unsafe. Approach, avoid, trust, mistrust. This global response then colors how we interpret the world.
0: That is really fascinating that the way we're looking at the world is happening, you know, all these processes are happening within us simultaneously all the time. Can you give us a little bit more of an example of this global response?
1: (laughs) When Amelia comes to mind, I'm 16, I enjoy playing tennis, and we had nighttime tennis courts in the town I grew up in upstate New York. So I was walking home after some nighttime tennis, it was probably 11 o'clock at night. It was down the main street, and I looked up ahead, maybe a block ahead, and there was a bunch of guys, and they were just, you know, talking and so on. And I'm enjoying walking. It's a nice, cool summer evening. And then my attention suddenly said, where did they go? I didn't see the guys anymore. And I was one block away from where I would turn up to go to my house. And I said, I think I should turn up this block instead. So I turned up one block early. And then I heard these people saying, oh, No. He's going to get away. And I ran and I jumped into a bush, behind a bush, and they went running by me and up the street and so on. So here's this global evaluation. It was a specific data point, but I didn't pick up the fact that, oh, they've left. What I picked up was just this overall feeling, okay, this pattern of activation isn't seemingly what you would expect. There may be something wrong here. You have to attend to it.
0: Wow, you know, that is really, really incredible. It reminds me of this term you know, when someone says that they have a gut feeling or they say I have a gut instinct about something, it's almost like a feeling that you know that something might be off, but there's not really an immediate logical rationale for it. So that's really incredible of understanding this global response in in that way. And I'm curious, so what you're bringing out is that both the gut and the heart both give this global evaluation to the brain. So do they use the same mechanisms or the same pathways for that?
1: Very perceptive question, Shankri, thank you. The pathways are completely different. The gut has a direct connection to the brain. It's called the vagus nerve. 95% of the activity on the vagus nerve is from the gut up to the brain. The gut is adding a lot of important information up to the brain. The heart has only an indirect connection. Beating of the heart increases the pressure in the arteries. This increase in pressure is sent to the stem. When you're in a stressful situation, the heart rate jumps up to take care of the emergency situation. But then the feedback coming from the brain, it decreases your fight-or-flight response. It keeps the heart rate from getting too high. And so we have a direct and an indirect connection, but they're all leading to the same thing, a change in bodily state. It's almost like a new sense that we have. And that change in bodily state, the brain can take in color how it understands what's going on.
0: Incredible. I mean, the, the body is just incredible. The more and more details you hear about what's happening all the time. I was so interested to hear what you just said, that 95% of the activity of the vagus nerve goes from the gut to the brain. So it's almost like the gut is doing so much of the talking to the brain. So what exactly is the brain being told?
1: It is doing major talking, but it's the major global evaluation it's adding. And let us dive deep into what's happening. We'll start with the basics. Inside the large intestine, which are about 5 feet long, there's 10 times more organisms than are in the whole body. Really, 10 times. It's called the gut microbiota. Includes mostly good bacteria, viruses, and fungi. The microbiota live in an anaerobic environment. It's very low oxygen. They would die if exposed to the outside air, but thrive in our gut. We give them a place to live, and they help us with energy metabolism, synthesis of vitamins, endocrine signaling, prevention of pathogens growing in the gut, regulation of immune functioning. And that's what's making up 90% of our bodies.
0: Incredible. So the microbiota is making up 90% of our body. I mean, that's kind of like our whole body. (laughs) It's kind of mind-boggling. So how did this microbiota get there?
1: This is where it gets really interesting, Shankari. Up to the moment before birth, the gut of the child is sterile. The first addition of bacteria comes when the child passes through the birth canal. The next large factor is the mother's milk and also the bacteria on the mother's skin. The third is bacteria from the environment. By the third year, the microbiota has reached a stable proportion of different species of bacteria. This lasts throughout one's life and could be used as a fingerprint to identify that person. As adults, there are three major bacteria types that make up the microbiota with exotic names such as Bacteroides. This is the earliest species to develop and includes many species of bacteria in that group. Prevotella, and Ruminococcus. <laughs> now, now, I saw your eyebrows shoot up. Yes, I, I know. That's right. <laughs>
0: you, you can't see my eyebrows, but they definitely went off <laughs> at those names.
1: And there's three major bacterial groups seen in the microbiota of every person. This is research waiting to happen. What is the relationship of the three doshas in Ayurveda to these three major bacteria groups in the microbiota?
0: Oh, that's fascinating. I mean, and for all those who are out there listening, all those researchers out there, there's so much that's waiting for your research and this connection between Ayurveda and what modern science is discovering. So what do all these trillions of cells do in our gut every day? (laughs) What's happening?
1: I'd like to create a word picture. The gut has an outer layer, it's called the epithelial layer, it has a lining, which is a mucus layer that protects the outer epithelial layer, and then there's a space within. The gut microbiota are present in all three layers. One group of microbiota creates short-chain fatty acids to maintain the integrity of the epithelial layer and produce energy for metabolism. Another maintains the mucus layer to protect the inside lining of the gut, while others sample all the microbes passing through the gut stops pathogens and any external microbes from affecting the gut wall.
0: Well, you can really see how important the microbiota is for maintaining the integrity of our whole gut system. And so for our listeners out there, we might be asking, what can we do to make sure that we're maintaining a healthy gut microbiota? What can we do?
1: <laughs> the best action is to maintain high diversity in the gut bacteria by eating foods that nourish the microbiota. These foods are called prebiotics. They're plant-derived polysaccharides that are fermented by the microbiota to generate short-chain fatty acids that provide essential nutrients for the health of the epithelial layer. They induce anti-inflammatory molecules and also lower acidity in the gut. Some of these prebiotics include chicory root, barley, oats, flax seeds, asparagus, apples, wheat bran, Bananas and cocoa cocoa. (laughs) That's fascinating.
0: (laughs) Well, this is great to hear. And you know, all of those different foods that you mentioned, it just shows a huge variety. And this is something that Ayurveda also recommends just eating a variety of foods, a variety of whole foods that are organic. And Ayurveda really stresses the importance of diet. It's one of the pillars of Ayurveda, which is the strength of digestion. That is one of the cornerstones. And that is what Ayurveda is linking to strong immunity. It's just fascinating to hear everything that you're saying that's just showing the importance of our diet and the strength of that digestion and absorption for that immunity. Ayurveda also recommends something called lassi, which is a drink that's made by mixing yogurt and water that's very easy to digest. And it's also a probiotic that's aiding the digestive process. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the role of probiotics.
1: So we talked about prebiotics, which is the food that nourishes the microbiota. But if you've taken, for instance, antibiotics, which are designed to kill bacteria, they also kill the good bacteria in the gut. And probiotics are good bacteria, which allows you to strengthen the gut. These include things like lassi, also tempeh, kombucha, kimchi, pickles, sauerkraut, and even some cheeses, gota, mozzarella, cheddar, cottage cheese. And what these do is they provide microbiota, the assistance. They provide actually microbes that help to build up the gut bacteria.
0: Fascinating. So as an Ayurvedic practitioner, I've really seen for years how a person's digestion and their gut health impacts every aspect of their being. You really can't separate the two. So it's really great to see this coming out in the research more and more. And can you share a little bit of what you've learned about gut health and its connection and also impact for mind, emotions, for, for well-being overall?
1: Very practical point. And I like the picture you're continually painting, Shankari, that we're not just a body. We're not just a body and a gut. We're a body and a gut in an environment. We're a larger system. It's attention to the larger system that's important. The science investigating the gut has come up with two fundamental relationships that affect mental health, physical health. First, the proportion of bacterial species differ between controls and diseased individuals, both for physiological diseases and mental diseases. Second, all diseases are characterized by low diversity of bacterial species compared to healthy individuals. This is seen in a broad range of diseases, metabolic diseases such as diabetes, hypertension, obesity, liver disease, immunological diseases such as type 1 diabetes, irritable bowel syndrome, and neurological diseases such as autism, multiple sclerosis. With lower bacterial diversity, the thickness of the mucosal layer of the gut decreases. There's reduced short change fatty acid production, which promotes degradation of host protective factors. This allows pathogens to attack the epithelial layer, leading to bacteria in the gut leaking out to the body. This triggers an immune response throughout the body, even leading to inflammation in the brain. For instance, sugar craving, it's associated with reduced diversity, and microbiota. They took mice, they were given antibiotics that decreased the microbiota, and then they were given free reign to eat as many sugar pellets as they wanted. They ate more sugar pellets than mice that had high-density microbiota. So when you need to be careful, especially eating large amounts of red meat, high-fat dairy products, fried foods. They all reduce the growth of healthy bacteria, enhance the growth of bad bacteria linked to chronic disease.
0: This is incredible. There's so much knowledge that you're sharing with us here. And I just want to make sure I understand. So what you are just saying is that it's really the bacterial diversity of the microbiota that's kind of indicating the state of health or the state of imbalance. And that if there's a lower diversity of those bacteria then this can result in both metabolic diseases. I mean, like diabetes, that's incredible. And then also the immune system is compromised. So all of the imbalances of that, and then also any kind of neurological diseases. So pretty much any kind of state of imbalance is connected to this lower diversity, and that can also influence the foods that we're craving. So can we then like look at our cravings in a different way that there is something going on with my microbiota?
1: (laughs) Excellent. It's a global evaluation. You take that experience, food craving is actually a state of globally how the body and brain are doing. So it's time to look to your sleep, to your exercise, to your diet, to when you're eating, because the whole system itself is found to be imbalanced.
0: Incredible. I mean, you bring out so many different factors because sometimes when we think about gut health, we just think about what am I eating? How much protein does it have? How many carbs is in what I'm eating? And what you're bringing out is this connection to sleep our exercise, how we're feeling, all of these other aspects. And this is something Ayurveda has spoken about is this interconnection and really understanding the body as a whole. When we're talking about taking a holistic approach, we're considering all of these factors that affect the physiology. And so it's fascinating to see how that is linked to the strength of our gut health. And I was just wondering, like, how do we, in terms of research, see how research is looking at these general changes to the gut and how it might affect all these different factors?
1: The research is just in its beginning stage. Prebiotics, probiotics are part of the research. Because you're dealing with such a large number of organisms, it's over a trillion organisms just in the gut, they haven't been able to get to a point value. But they do see large classes. And so they they look at different families. They also use a, a very generalized treatment, which is called fecal transplant. What is done is the microbiota of a healthy organism, they do a lot of this with mice, and they're also beginning to do it with humans. It's introduced into a mouse that may be obese, that may be sick, and what they find is if it's healthy microbiota going into a sick mouse, the mouse becomes better. They've done this research with autism and children and taking microbiota from healthy children, transplanting it into um, the autistic individual, and they find that social interactions become better. They find that anger issues decrease. So this research is just in the very beginning, but they're understanding that we're a larger system and we have to treat the larger system, not just specific point values.
0: Beautiful, Dr. Travis. Thank you so much. The research that's showing this, it's so linked to also what Ayurveda has talked about. And one of the modalities is panchakarma or this process of coming back into balance. And one of the different parts of panchakarma is something called bastis. And we can talk about this at a different date, but bastis is also kind of an enema of sorts that helped to strengthen the integrity of that area. And so it's amazing to see that the research is also finding that this has a huge effect on all of these different aspects of health and well-being, emotions, et cetera, like you're finding. So as a neurophysiology researcher, what are your thoughts on these different parallels? Because everything you're saying, I just see so many parallels to this Ayurvedic perspective on digestion. And I'm just wondering, how do you see it in terms of being a researcher and how these new scientific findings are showing this gut-brain connection?
1: It's giving us an objective mirror to appreciate what's been known in the past. Ayurveda sees undigested food as a cause of all disease. It's interesting, Hippocrates, so Western medicine, also stated this relationship. So what we have with science is beginning to allow us to objectively evaluate what's been known in a systematic way through time. There's one additional point about the microbiota which would be of interest to bring up from Vedic science. Vedic science looks at our relationship of us as an individual to the universal level of life in which we live. And they describe that a product of digestion of a stress-free nervous system is produced that allows the individual to be more connected with their universal self. This product is called Soma. It's a compound that allows us to live what's understood as higher states of consciousness, states of wholeness, states of expansion that coexist with ongoing daily activity. So this is another research study that needs to be done to understand the microbiota is just not, you have these different bacteria and you have high and low diversity, but what's the highest level of this symbiotic relationship that we have as a person with the microbes that we have in our gut? I urge any microbiologists who are listening to take up these scientific challenges. This will expand our understanding of what 90% of our body is doing and how we can optimize our functioning.
0: Incredible. I mean, you're really just bringing out this connection between the microbiota and even higher states of consciousness. It's incredible. <laughs> There's an Ayurvedic saying that connects to what you were bringing out about Ayurveda seeing undigested food as the cause of all disease. The saying is sarvapi Mandagno, which means that the root cause of disease lies in its connection to poor digestion. So this is just really amazing to see how you've really brought that out today, that the strength of our gut health is important for all different aspects of physiological, psychological, emotional, mental well-being. So as we wrap up today, a lot of times when people write about brain health, they're offering readers tips on preventing imbalances. And in your book, Your Brain is a River, Not a Rock, you talk about neuroplasticity. And you also kind of bring out natural strategies for rewiring the brain when it's out of balance. So I was wondering if you could share some thoughts or words of advice on brain health and gut health with all of us.
1: You're taking our conversation to a much broader level. This is really fascinating. When we talk about the brain, we tend to think of it as a set connection, almost like a, maybe a computer with everything wired up. It's not that way. The brain is a self-adapting system. It's changing. 70% of your brain connections change every day. And how they're changing is determined by the experiences that we have. And the experiences we have are determined by where our attention goes. What directs the attention? That's where the gut comes in. That's the global evaluation. You go into a situation, where do you look? Do you look at what's broken? Do you look at what is in conflict? Or do you look at what's whole and what's growing? That is determined by global evaluation, very much driven by the gut, aided by the heart. And then that is determining the circuits that are developed. And we begin to go through the world and spontaneously ignoring the crude is how Maharshi phrases it. It's not that we're blind to what's happening, but we look to what's growing around us. Because those are the circuits that have been strengthened by where our attention has gone day by day.
0: Incredible, it gives me hope, you know, especially when you say that 70% is changing. I mean, it gives me, you know, so it's not just this fixed point, but what we're putting our attention on is really influencing our body as a whole. This has been such a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much, Dr. Travis, for joining us today. You've just clearly shown the importance of what we eat, what we're putting our attention on, and how it's influencing everything that we're thinking and feeling and and how we are moving in the world around us.
1: Thank you, Shakri. It's been a joy to be with you. All the best.
0: Dr. Travis, thank you so much for sharing this beautiful knowledge with us. And thank you, listeners, for joining us today. We hope you will join us next time where we will be sharing more Ayurvedic knowledge and tips for health and wellness. And also, please check out Mappy.com, which is the pulse of everything Ayurvedic. My name is Shankri. Until next time. This episode of Ayurveda 101 was produced by Mappy in partnership with Headquist Productions. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple
1: Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, or wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.